I'm Hannah Preston and I'm a Research Support Officer here at Leeds University Business School and today I'm joined by Natalie Vanderwell who's a Marie Skudowska Curie Research Fellow and we're going to be talking about uh, Natalie's research so uh, welcome Natalie, hello. Hi, thank you for inviting me. Um, so I recently went to one of Natalie's seminars on her research which is all about laughter-induced therapy. Can you tell us a bit more about what that is? Yes. So there's different types of laughter therapy that are out there. Some are based on humor. So uh, you could use jokes or clowns or watching funny videos and others are not based on uh, humor. And then um, it sounds weird, but you just imitate laughter. You fake it until you make it in a way and you do lots of laughter and breathing exercises. Yeah, this wasn't something I was aware of when I went to the seminar. I mean, I was interested anyway and I was always uh, um, told there was going to be free pizza, which is always a, a good way to get me to an event. What I didn't realise was that there was going to be audience participation. So Natalie had all of us up and doing some exercises. Do you want to go through uh, some of the uh, awkward things you made us do in the name of research? <laughs> yes, in the name of research. So I told um, the participants at the seminar that I think it's best to just experience what laughter therapy is because hardly anybody knows what it is and, and it just sounds weird to just start laughing so I thought if we do it together it's it's less weird although there's definitely an awkward beginning <laughs> <laughs> so um, shall we start with the laughter yes, exercise? Yes, let's go on then. Alright, so um, what I generally start um, what I generally start with is a clapping exercise to bring the energy a little bit up and then also to get in the mood. So I would like to invite you to clap so all the listeners you can actually try and join us. So just start clapping and then see if you can do a rhythm like one, two, one, two, three, one, two, one, two, one, two, three. And now we're going to say ho, ho, ha, 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 ho, ho, ha, 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 ho, ho, ha, 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 ho, ho, ha, ha, ho, ho, ha, 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 ho, ho, ha, ha, ha. All right. That was a good beginning. So the energy should be a little bit up now in your body. And it's good to just start with saying the words ho, ho, ha, ha, ha. And yeah, maybe it was fake. But after a while, we can make it real. So then I would like to do one more exercise with you here on the podcast. And I call it flossing your brain. So instead of using dental floss for your teeth, we're going to use an imaginary little piece of floss. So if you can just pretend you pick the floss. So we're holding up our fingers now with an imaginary piece of floss in between. We're putting it over our head. And then you can just imagine like all the awkwardness or all your worries of today you can floss away so we're um, bringing our hands <laughs> to the left or right as if we're flossing our brain but it goes with a little laugh so <laughs> try to make some sounds Hannah <laughs> oh it's so awkward but it does work <laughs> <laughs> just floss the awkwardness out of your brain <laughs> Well, that's it. And then after uh, some exercises, we always end um, with putting your thumbs up. So let me see your thumbs up, Hannah. And then we say good. Good. Very good. Very good. Yay! Yay! <laughs> and that's your laughter exercise for the day. <laughs> <laughs> yes, doing this with uh, unexpected colleagues was quite a good way to spend the lunchtime. Um, so how did you get into this laughter-induced therapy research? 
Yes, that's a, a good question. Uh, for for many many years, I already been like a yoga teacher, and then one day I saw like a movie on YouTube on uh, on laughter yoga. I had no idea that that existed, but uh, it always was something I wanted to try. And then I saw actually laughter yoga leader training. So I'm uh, just pause for a second to say, who knew that that existed? Yes. Laughter yoga leader training, amazing. Yes, it's amazing, right? But I'm always uh, in for fun things. So I did that and um, I liked it so much because I found out it's, it's, it's quite serious. At that time, I was in a, in a low point in my life and I learned that even through laughter, you can get over emotional things. So um, you can use singing, dancing, going to therapy. Some people use medicine. And I found out that laughter is also one of the things you can use to feel better and then I ran a pilot study at the university I taught students to do laughter and then another group of students um, I, I taught them how to meditate breathing meditation mm -hmm. and I found that both were beneficial for their health and then I thought well let me just do a meta-analysis looking at all the therapies out there and all the scientific literature about them and then what I found in my meta-analysis is that uh, it can decrease your depression, your anxiety and your stress levels. Oh, that all sounds excellent but this is actually very different to your current main research isn't it? So you're doing um, research on evacuation or more specifically testing communication strategies to save lives in emergency evacuation. Um, so how did you get into that then? Yes, another good question. I um, won a Marie Curie grant so I'm living my my dream life here in Leeds. It's my dream job. I, uh, <laughs> I wrote the grant with uh, Professor Wendy Bruyne de Bruyne. She's really amazing in writing grants and, and in doing her research. So I'm so happy we can work together. Um, so that's how I came here. I got money from the European Commission for two years to conduct this research and I aim to improve uh, evacuations and I do that with uh, multidisciplinary research. So I make a combination of psychology and decision science with computer science. Excellent. So what kind of scenarios have you been looking at with evacuation then? Is it things like uh, hotels or shopping centres? Well, actually, all kinds of scenarios. So in the first step of my research, I did an analysis of videos I could find online of people evacuating. And then uh, I found all kinds of uh, videos out there. So on YouTube, on news sites, uh, for example, alarms going off in shopping malls. Um, there could be like a fire at a concert, um, even uh, movies from terrorist attacks or airplanes that need to make an emergency landing or when the engine is on fire. So I've looked at uh, many different types of evacuation scenarios. And um, what have you found so far? Yes, so in the um, videos, I, I looked at the relationship between the evacuation communication and the human behaviors. So, for example, I um, looked in every video, are the people running? Uh, are they responding immediately when the alarm goes off? Or are they waiting and looking around? Um, are they like filming the evacuation? Mm -hmm. Because that's the latest thing to film everything what happens instead of doing something. And then I found that um, when I look if there's an 
evacuation communication going on in the video. So, for example, the alarm is sounding or there is staff that uh, are guiding the people out to the to the exits. Then uh, people run less, okay. so it's good. And uh, there's less slow response, so people are responding faster to the alarm. So they're, they're responding in a quicker matter, but they're also yes. moving more orderly then, so it's not more of a, a panic mass running. Yes. Yes, panic is a very interesting word, by the way, Hannah, because uh, uh, lots of people in this uh, field of research are trying to get rid of the word panic because okay. that's what the media always tell us. Yes. Oh, people were panicking. And then when you look at the pictures, people were not panicking because panicking means like an extraordinary, super scary response to a situation that's maybe not that scary. So we should talk more about fear. Fearful reactions. Um, and have any of their findings surprised you? I guess the filming is kind of a bit of a, a worrying if people are stopping on their mobile phones. Is that kind of uh, generic across the board or is it in some situations people do realise they need to get up and move? Or Well, um, I knew from the literature that the um, most... Uh, important or, or the, the behaviour that's mostly present is the slow response. Um, but then to actually see it every time in a video, for example, uh, uh, there's a video where there's a show, like an opening of King Kong the movie, and then the stage is on fire and people just stay watching because they think it's part of the show and uh. then some start to film it and, and it's... Yeah, it's it's quite hard for me. It was really distressing the first time uh, watching all these these videos, but then I just tried to look at it as like a researcher, more objective. Yeah. So um, even though you know it exists, to actually see it the first couple of times is just yeah, it's shocking. Yeah. So people, please, <laughs> when the alarm goes off or when there's a fire, act immediately. Like. <clears throat> the um, reason why people don't immediately move is sometimes because there's uncertainty. You don't know what's going on. Like, yeah. okay, in the case of the King Kong that's uh, on fire, you can see there's actually a fire, but then you might think it's part of the show. Yeah. But if you're like in a shopping mall and the alarm goes off and you don't see anything, you don't know, is it real? Is it a fake alarm? So, so then we look around and then what happens is called informational social influence, which okay. we know from social psychology, is that you always think other people know better. So when you look around and other people are doing nothing, you're doing nothing. And then maybe especially when you're British, yes. because you don't want to be awkward or you don't want other people to notice you or, yeah. you know, look different than the rest of, of the group. Yeah. So you you might know if that's true since you're British. <laughs> <laughs> um, and what's the next stage for this research then? Yeah, the next stage is conducting field experiments. I um, I had a couple of interviews with experts like safety managers, and um, I concluded from those interviews that uh, the best thing to do is um, to use dynamic signs and dynamic emergency lighting. And what do you mean by that? Well, for example, you have these um, LED strips. Uh -huh. um, that look like they're dynamic lights. So there's a little light that slowly goes from one end to the other end. And um, you can actually kind of 
unconsciously guide the crowd the crowd to a certain exit because um, movements and lights they attract us um, so that's better than if you have like a static sign with a, with an arrow on it because people don't really notice that so if there's like a movement or a light people will see it and they will uh, take uh, that exit so that's what i'm gonna look into i'm gonna conduct an experiment here at the university to find out if uh, those lights are better than uh, current static signs sounds interesting and really important really important um so thanks for your time today natalie what's your one message then if you want our listeners to uh, take home with them what would you say Yes, the take-home message, listeners, is whenever you are somewhere and the alarm is sounding, please act. Take the nearest exit and also tell others to leave the building. That's great. Thank you. Welcome. Thank you.